everything kind of enables everything else, right? Or, or it improves everything else. And exercise is absolutely, certainly the biggest lever we have to improve all areas of our life. Why? It's not nutrition. In my opinion, it's exercise. Why? Energy is at the basis of everything we do. Energy, right? And so what controls energy? We've talked about this for weeks on, on end, but what ultimately controls your ability to build energy or, or to produce energy? It's the mitochondria, right? Primarily mitochondria bacteria, which are very correlated with the microbiome, of course, but starting to understand the energy equation. And so there's a lot of things that play into your, your body's ability to produce energy. And one of the simplest things to acknowledge in yourself is if you had twice as much energy as you do now, everything in life would be easier. You'd have enough time for, for work. You'd have enough time for waking up early. You'd have enough time for the workouts. You'd have an abundance of energy to do everything and not complain about it, right? So that to me is like the number one equation we have to all be solving for. It's like, well, what's sapping my ability to produce energy? So it's not just consume energy, right? Because people think like I eat, that becomes output. That's not how it works. There's there's a huge gap there, right? That's why these people who talk about the first law of thermodynamics being like energy, energy out, doesn't quite work like that because there's there's a whole, it's, a, it's an open system. It's not a closed system. So there's a whole potential of thing, potential number of things that can influence. I eat this, I get that output. That's not a one-to-one line, right? It's not a straight line. So we have to start looking at, okay, if I just simply just want to solve the energy equation, what should I be influencing, right? So I'll tell you the first thing you want to think about is digestion, absorption, and assimilation. Like, is my body digesting, absorbing, and assimilating this food? It's not just what I eat. And I know we've talked about this at nauseum, but there's, you know, literally mastication, chew, right? Why is chewing so important? Well, chewing is extremely important because if I eat it, if I swallow a whole piece of steak, and it's called eating fast or a piece of chicken, whatever, only the outside of that steak or the outside of that chicken is going to get exposed to the acids and enzymes that start to break it down. So literally the, the ability to expose a greater amount of surface area to the food is an integral part of extrapolating and extracting nutrients from all the food we eat. Step one, right? Then we go, okay, do I have the appropriate acid and enzymes? to break this food down? Do I have the right uh, environment in my stomach? And that's influenced by so many things. It's not just an assumption that we all have enough acid and enzymes. If you've consumed gluten in the last week, you probably don't have enough uh, acid, right? Uh, Hydrochloric acid. If you've consumed anything you're allergic to, or if your gut's inflamed, or if you've taken an antibiotic in the last five years, you may not have enough acid enzymes and microbes to break down this food, right? So this is just like, Breakdown. Then we go, okay, the microbiome, the next level of, of uh, kind of uh, digestion is the microbiome in, in the small and large colon, small intestine, large colon. Okay. Do I have the, the widest array of bacteria that I need? Right. Maybe, maybe not. And so most of us, if you've taken a back, an antibiotic in the last 10 years, you're probably deficient in a small number of microbes. So the thing with, with antibiotics that people don't always know is antibiotics kill very specific strains of bacteria, oftentimes the ones we actually want or need. So that's a big problem, right? And then we go, okay, then we've got all that. Then we go to the, the gut lining and the gut wall. Is it permeable, right? Is it is it leaky? And if it's leaky, then we're going to drive up inflammation. The body's even taking them all, or, or particles that are too big. So now we look, go to the immune system. The immune system's attacked. So there's this whole line of conversation of things that has to be right before we can simply extract the food or the nutrients and the energy from the food that we eat, right? So I want to like, I want you guys to be considerate of like all the potential considerations that we look at as coaches 
as from a level of optimization, right? So it's not just everyone goes, hey, man, you know, if you ask 100 people what the problem is and why they're fat, what 98 of them are going to say it's nutrition. And I would say of those 98, 90 of them are wrong, right? So eight of them are like, yeah, it's, your nutrition is shit. You need to fix that. But the 90 of them, there, there's so many levels to nutrition. It's not just what you eat, right? It's the system that it's entering. And I think people don't acknowledge that. So if the system's broken, it doesn't matter how good the food is. So when we, when we solve for this energy equation, we start thinking about, okay, well, how do I improve energy? So then I didn't, I'll keep going on after I got to the immune system. Okay, then we look at hormones because the, the the immune system directly is going to impact hormones. Immune system comes with uh, an immune response, which means cortisol. If cortisol is up, testosterone is down, right? So we start looking at all these, these interactions with thyroid and insulin and glucagon and all these other hormones that are ultimately responsive. They're, they're reacting to your state that are ultimately contributing positively or contributing negatively to the way you look and feel on a day-to-day basis. So if you don't feel great, what's the chances you're going to look great, right? And there should be a direct one-to-one correlation there. Like, if I feel great, chances are I have the abundance of energy to to perform at my best. So I want you guys to start thinking that way. So here's the worst thing you can do when you have a setback. Like he was saying, I was like a half a step back. Here's the worst thing you can do. Stress about it, right? Why? Because you guys all understand the the event itself is one thing. The response you have to it is something completely different. So you can have the ability to control your response. I can't control that. He's not on the call, but Coach Gavin's car got smoked two days ago. Some driver in the middle of the night hit his car on the street, took him onto the sidewalk. It's a second dart, exactly, from the Buddhist brain. He wasn't in the car. Nobody's in the car. He was sleeping at the time. But like that's a huge stress. You can't change the reality of the stress. But what you can change is your perception to it. And this is the one thing we all need to train in ourselves. Because if we, if we keep continuously create the habit or the, the what ultimately is the state becomes a trait. So if we keep reinforcing the state and it becomes a habit, all of a sudden you're habitually causing this excessive amount of stress. That becomes a, a personality trait. And if you're someone who has a personality trait for always diving deeper and allowing yourself to just be flooded with negative hormones and emotions, you're not going to win the body composition game. So perception is an enormous part of your success. So yes, you have to follow the plan. But let me tell you, the what, what you do today is not going to make or break your future, right? If you screw up today, it's okay. Do the best you can and be grateful for it, right? That, that's, that's the mindset. Do we want every day to be perfect? Of course. Of course, the whole thing is I can control today. But if I screw up today, and I mess something up and I'm like, oh man, you know, I, I messed it up. I didn't do my best in the gym or I wasn't even make, able to make it to the gym or I ate something I shouldn't have or I stayed up late or got up late, whatever. It's, I can't change it, right? I can't change it. So one of the things I teach my children, because I feel like children kind of get pulled in that loop sometimes of like, oh, this happened in the past. Yeah, it's okay. Do you have the ability to control that? Nope. I can control the next one though. So let's just make sure it doesn't happen again, right? No, like I'm down on myself. I'm, you know, I'm upset with myself. I'm cussing myself, whatever, right? No. So ultimately, it's just like, yeah, be really, really quick to let it roll off your back, get back on the horse and get in again. And if you think of like a professional athlete, I'll come back to like a quarterback in football. He throws an interception. If he's dragging his head on the next play, he's going to throw another one, right? You got to come back. He's going to lift his head up. He's got to go again. He's going to do it better. So you can't let that. You have a very, very, very 
short term memory, very, very, you know, quick, quick to forget. If we're, if we want to solve for this energy equation, what are all the things we got to be considering on a day to day basis? Right. This is, I think, at the foundation of what we do. Yes, the food you eat has to be a certain quality. And I'm going to talk about that today. And then the state that it's going into has to be at least considered. I'm going to talk about that today. And then I'm going to talk about some of the lifestyle interventions that we can ultimately uh, include to optimize for energy. Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Bioptimizers, an incredibly longtime sponsor of this podcast because they have amazing products that you continue to buy because they work. I think every one of my clients is certainly on mass zymes. I take that consistently every day. I like to take a lot. I like to take five in the morning on an empty stomach and then three to four with each of my high protein containing meals. This really help, helps me extract the protein from the meat and the ultimate protein sources that I'm consuming rather than just eating it and assuming that my body's going to utilize it. I want to make sure that my body can digest, absorb, and assimilate all these highly cost, uh, high cost proteins and high quality proteins that I'm consuming. It's not just about what you consume. It's about what your body can digest, absorb, and assimilate. So I highly suggest you head over to bioptimizers.com and use the code muscle10 to get 10% off. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S, bioptimizers.com. Use the code muscle10. They've also, also got an incredible suite of incredible products from P3OM to support digestion, Capex to support people on a ketogenic diet. And you guys all know my incredible, uh, how much of an incredible fan I am of their product, um, Magnesium Breakthrough, which is seven different magnesium chelates. Um, and they're also expanding their line consistently every year with research and doing incredible products. You guys get hooked up with 10% off all of their products. Head over to buyoptimizers.com and use the code MUSCLE10. So as I said, let's talk about nutrition. And, and I think most people would at some point in their life say that they believe nutrition is their biggest deficit or their biggest challenge. And I would argue that for most people, it's, it's, it's certainly a influence. You guys probably heard my stance on this before, maybe you haven't, but certainly an influence, but it's not the influence. And when we start considering, okay, well, what, how many levels of potential intervention are there here, potential influence are there when it comes to actually what your body receives from the food you eat? The quality of the food you eat is only one aspect. So I want to give you guys, and the way I do, the reason I do this is because I think this is an empowering framework. If you screw up, if you're like, hey, man, shit, I went out and ate something I shouldn't have, or, you know, like, whatever, I, I wasn't able to get to a meal, so I did something else. Like, okay. So if we, if we start looking at the quality of the food you eat, which absolutely matters, and how do we define quality? For me, it's the absence of toxins and pesticides is the first thing, right? So I want to make sure whenever possible, quality food is defined as the absence of toxins or pesticides. So toxins can be anything from food chemicals to food additives and dyes and quote unquote natural flavors, which you guys want to look up the, I think there's a, there's hundreds and hundreds of different things that fit under the pretense of natural flavors, including hundreds of different petroleum derivative products, things that are, that are cancer promoting like natural flavors. Let's first make sure there's the absence of, of, of toxins and, and pesticides as much as possible, right? And now how do we become aware of that without being neurotic of it? Start to get to know your sources, right? Start to get to know your local farmer if you can. Start to get to know your, uh, I don't know, someone who, somebody locally who's providing food. If you're importing food from a different country or a different part of the country, the likelihood of you knowing the supply chain is zero. 
So the more you can get to know someone who's doing the gardening, who's growing the plants and the vegetables, someone who's growing the animals, someone who's got the eggs and the chickens, you know, that kind of stuff, it, it allows you just to know where the food's coming from. And it gives you so much more control over what goes into your body. So if you guys aren't already at least somehow or, or some way able to, to have some aspect of your nutrition coming from local food, that maybe even have a conversation and shake the hand of the person that's growing it, um, I suggest you get on that. I think it's a really important aspect. And, you know, it, especially just for like a level of appreciation for where things come from, the more disconnected we are geographically from where our food comes from, the more disconnected we are from our food, right? We, we don't, I do with my kids before every meal, we'd spend a few minutes just being grateful for food. And so the other night we went out for oysters. My daughter loves oysters and she orders 12 oysters and we go, and she goes, they're $4 an oyster. I go, her name's Presley. I go, Press, do you know where oysters come from? She's like, the ocean? I go, yeah, the ocean where? She's like, uh, I don't know. I'm like, look on the menu, Nova Scotia. I'm like, okay. Do you know how far Nova Scotia is? Yeah, it's like a three-hour flight. Okay. So someone went in the ocean. You guys get it, right? They went in the ocean. Somebody had to like pull these things up somehow, either with a net or manually. They had to take them back to shore, put them on a, put them on a truck, put them on an airplane. Someone had to go to the airport, pick them up, bring them to the market. Like there's like 50 people that handled this oyster before she was able to consume it for four dollars. I was like, babe, like that's amazing, right? That's just incredible that we can get it for just four dollars. And so when we walk through the steps, processes of receiving your food, I also have a deeper level of appreciation for every little morsel. And I think that state that you're you're in, the state of gratitude and appreciation to receive this food, and you guys all know that I have a belief that everything is energy, right? Not only like the the ability to produce energy, but also the vibration in the food is real. If you guys don't believe that, there's tons of research showing the validity of like literally the vibration of food. There's some really interesting videos on YouTube if you guys haven't seen. You know, people like saying bad words to a plant versus saying like loving words to a plant. It's worth looking up. You guys want to see? That's it? true. It's crazy. And, and who knows to the level of impact that has, but I would say it's, you know, from my experience, it seems pretty significant, at least for me. So again, walking through quality and like, okay, what does quality look like to me? And what am I able to afford? What am I able to access? And so if you're choosing from, should I choose your know, highest quality meat, even though it's very expensive, should I choose the highest quality vegetables? So it's most expensive. My, my advice is whenever you're choosing meats, Choose the highest quality meats you can if you're choosing fatty cuts. So if you're going to choose lower quality meats, I would choose leaner cuts because the body or the, the animals tend to store toxins in the fat. So if you're going to choose a ribeye steak or, you know, a fatty fish or something like that, you want to make sure you're choosing the, the purest sources you can because the animals, as I say, store f- toxins in the fat. If you're going to get something that's like grain fed, you know, mass market, you're getting from a local steakhouse or whatever, then get lean, lean meats if you can. Fatty fish is uh, mackerel or salmon. Those are your two like big fatty ones. Salmon is definitely, man, farm salmon. You guys want to watch a gross video? Don't do it, but watch a gross video. It's a YouTube video on um, how they raise farm salmon. They actually do it in the ocean, but what they'll do is they'll like, they'll like, um, close off a section of the ocean so the salmon can't leave, like a small section. And then they build a chicken coop over top. So the chickens get fed and the chickens crap into the ocean and the, and the salmon eat the chicken poop as their food. And so they they have this like ecosystem that they've built. So the salmon are eating the chicken shit. And then we get to enjoy the delicious salmon from these farms. 
So don't do it. Um, yeah, it's only one, but I, I mean, it sounds pretty common. Farmed salmon. No, thanks. But anyway, so I would say for choosing your vegetables, again, whenever fruits and vegetables, whenever possible, organic. And there's not that much of a price difference in my experience in, in fruits and vegetables. Like if it's an extra $50 a month, it's worth your health because what you guys don't see is, you know, is it, is it a bad thing to eat a little pesticides or consume a little chlorinated water? No. But if it's constantly being, especially when we're, when we're training and eating, eating higher volumes of food, we're constantly bombarding our body with small amount, excuse me, small amounts of pesticide, small amount of chlorinated water. Eventually the microbiome is just non-existent. Then eventually I feel the absence of well-being. Maybe I feel depressed. Maybe I feel anxious. I'm like, I don't know why, right? Maybe I lack energy, right? Maybe my testosterone's in the tank. And I'm like, I don't know why. That's it, right? It's, it's, it's one of the most straight line correlations, having a really healthy, diverse microbiome and all these positive hormones and neurotransmitters. The more we can, so as I said, the first lens through which we make decisions in nutrition is remove the toxic burden first, right? Then we say minimize inflammation. I'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, then we say eat to fuel the microbiome. So if you guys were just to choose three lenses through which you make decisions, it's those three. So no toxins, no inflammation, eat to fuel the microbiome. So how do eat to fuel the microbiome? Well, obviously we want to. So if you think of it like prior to 1925, you guys know there was no refrigeration prior to 1925. So what happened to foods? You left it out. It fermented. People have probably had a much more diverse experience of the microbiome because they're eating so many more diverse foods. There's nothing wrong with allowing your foods to sit out for a couple hours or even a day, right? It's it's potentially a good thing for you. Now, I'm not going to tell you to leave everything out, but just be aware of the fact that the reason our microbiome is very poorly inhabited is because we're, everything's super sterilized. Everything's like goes from the fridge, the pan to our stomach. I'm like, okay, that's cool. That's micronutrients, but what about the microbiome, which is just literally bacteria, right? So every meal should include meat, vegetables, in my opinion, a little bit of fat between 10 and 30 grams, and then something that's fermented every meal. Um, and it doesn't have to be a lot, but it can be something. You can have a little bit of kombucha. You can have a little bit of fermented cabbage, a little bit of fermented fruits, a little bit of fermented vegetables. And you guys can make all these on your own. It's really, really simple stuff. Right. So I would suggest, um, yeah, just like make these meals as gut friendly as possible. So those are your three lenses. Do you guys all remember them? No toxins, minimize inflammation, and eat to fuel the microbiome. Now I didn't talk too much about minimizing inflammation, but inflammation and the microbiome are, are almost inextricable, right? Gut health and inflammation are, are often more considered one and the same. And when I, when I write about nutrition, I often write about them as one and the same. But when we talk about inflammation from a different perspective, we can also talk about gluten and grains and vegetable oils and sugars, right? These things are going to be really, really toxic to your body. And they're going to drive up inflammation for most people. Even dairy is on that list for many, not, not all, but many people. So you got to find out what works best for my body. So one thing I'll say that I didn't say on that list that I want you guys to acknowledge is carbohydrates are not bad, right? There's nothing wrong with carbohydrates. There's nothing wrong with eating some fruit from time to time. There's nothing inherently wrong with that, especially from an energy perspective, right? If you're obese, 
then maybe we drop down food. Or if you're someone who has a ketogenic diet, sorry, drop down fruit. If you're on a ketogenic diet, then there's no room for fruit. But if you're someone who's training consistently, carbohydrates and fruit are not the enemy. I think it's been, people are, are sometimes confusing these different camps, being like, oh, carnivore works and keto works, therefore everyone must be low carb. No, your body needs and utilizes carbohydrate well in general. So I think it's, it's, it's not a good idea to be afraid of carbohydrates, uh, especially for someone who's training. Here's why. When we talk about energy production being the, the primary lens that we're trying to solve for, if your carbohydrate levels are constantly low, that means likely your cortisol levels are going to be up. So if your body has chronically low carbohydrate and insulin levels, carbohydrate and insulin are often inversely proportional. So one is up, the other is down. So if insulin's up, cortisol's down. If cortisol's up, insulin often, not always, but is down. So if you're someone who's constantly on a low-carb diet, you can assume that you don't have your, so I should say this maybe in a different way. Carbohydrates are your body's greatest lever to modulate cortisol. Carbohydrates are, are, are your greatest lever to modulate cortisol, which means just dampen the effects of cortisol. So we don't want to be afraid of carbohydrate. We don't want to overconsume carbohydrate because then our insulin levels become outrageous. But we want to make sure we consume it in a way that we say, did I earn it or am I is my stress level elevated and maybe it'll help me modulate stress. Okay, so that's important. So we're just kind of going through this lens of uh, optimization of, of choices of food, then optimization of the system that it's going into, right? If I eat the healthiest food in the world and the state of my system is uh, dysregulated or stressed or the microbiome is dysbiotic or you name it, like X number of, or, or I'm under-rested or overtrained, it never has the same same effect, right? The, the healthiest food in the world can't impact your body as well if the system is broken, the system is dysregulated. And again, that, that's a whole ball of wax that we can go into at, at whatever length you guys want to. Um, that's important. And then we have to look at, okay, how then do we, do we look at the energy equation and what are the things that influence energy? If you guys look at that, human behavior through the lens of simply trying to modulate and feel better. Everyone just wants to feel better, right? We're ultimately just trying to solve for like emotions. Like if I feel angst or fear or sadness or whatever, um, something can solve that or we've learned that something often outside of me can, can serve, solve that, right? You're creating a coping strategy and what I call an external coping strategy, right? Whereas if we learn to create an internal coping strategy, then it's much more likely you can solve for, for, the, for the challenge you're experiencing. So what's the challenge I'm experiencing? Let's say I'm, I'm sitting with anxiety, depression, fear, overwhelm, whatever. And so, okay, uh, I've learned through probably years of conditioning, a state becomes a trait. And I've learned that this sugar or this pill or this alcohol or this drug or this sex or this pornography or the social media makes me feel better. And so therefore, every time I feel that way, I go to, I go for it, I go for it, I go for it. Even it's like, you know, whatever. We can think of a million things that you guys are using as external coping strategies or potentially using as external coping strategies. Um, but what you don't realize is none of those are necessary. That's just what you've learned. So if you can become conscious of these unconscious habits, then you have the ability to change it for something that may not be destructive, right? Something that starts out in the beginning as a positive support strategy 
ultimately eventually can become a challenge, right? So in the beginning, it was probably great. It's like, oh shit, I can have this food. It makes me feel better instantaneously. That's awesome. But eventually that becomes a problem. So we have to become aware of, okay, it's, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to feel bad about myself. I'm not going to be angry with myself or be down on myself that, you know, when I was 12 years old, I started drinking soda because it made me feel good. You didn't know any better. That's okay. Don't, don't beat yourself up. But now that you know better, what would be a different strategy if you're feeling down on yourself to make yourself feel better? Let's think of some things that are internal coping strategies. Free, breath work, meditation, nature, walking, training, sex, human connection, right? You could think of so many things that are internal coping strategies, right? They're internal, they're positive. They're going to change your physiological state. Does that make sense? We become aware of our clients. And I, I have a couple of clients like this. One in particular comes to mind and who they, they have the same strategy. They, um, they get stressed and they eat the wrong things. And the next day they come and they, they, um, kind of repent and they're like, Oh man, I screwed up. I'm sorry. I'm like, dude, it's okay. How do we build that in? Right. How do we say, if, if we know at four o'clock every day, you become overwhelmed with what's happening at school, at work. There's a few things that we can, we can do preemptively to hopefully make you a little bit more resilient to this stress. Here's an example. You guys all know this, right? Let's say your stress level right now. Let's say you're riding at an eight. You're like, man, my life's, my life's pretty stressed. Eight or a nine. Anybody there? Eight or a nine sometimes? Doesn't matter. You don't have to self acknowledge. You can self acknowledge. So if you're riding at an eight or a nine, that is both physiological, like what's happening in your body. But it's also psychological. But did you also know you can make your body more resilient or maybe more accurately, more anti-fragile to stress simply by increasing the robustness of the system? The nervous system become, can become way more adaptive to stress by improving some basic things. Microbiome, aerobic fitness, inflammation. Oh, isn't that interesting? I just talked about those. All right. Those are the things that can ultimately make your body more resilient to any type of stress. Meaning you can experience the same amount of stress as you are right now. And instead of riding at an eight, now you're at a four, even though nothing else has changed except your physiological system. The best example that I often use of this is there's been times in my life when my kids would come downstairs and I wanted to like shout. I'm like, oh, you could have quiet. Shut up. And, and I didn't actually do that, but that was my internal dialogue. And in the moment, I'd be like, man, they did the same thing yesterday and I wasn't angry or I wasn't frustrated. What changed? It wasn't them. It was me. So how then do I become aware of? They're just, the, they're just standing there holding the mirror for me, man. They're like, hey, if your system is getting stressed out from this little bit of stimulus, you need to do something right now to change it. So that means for me, it's going to be meditation. It's going to be breath work. It's going to be five minutes standing in the grass and taking some sun on my face and breathing. It's like five minutes, all of a sudden, boom, my state has changed. I have no more desire to go and have the glass of wine or the tub of ice cream or the cookie because okay, I no longer feel overwhelmed because I took the time to be present in the moment and use an internal coping strategy, right? Does that make sense? Because that's a huge, huge lever for you all to pull when things become stressful. Man, I do it when I'm driving. Like if I'm just like, feel like I'm, I'm, if I, I, do you guys ever stop and just like 
take a second to take inventory of what the overall tone of your body is, like the overall vibration and hum and feeling of your body, just like. And so right now, in my mind's eye, I'm just feeling like everything from my feet to my knees, my quads, my glutes, my abs, my, my lats, my neck, my throat, my eyebrow. Where I feel tension, I'm just tuning back the tension just a little bit. Right? I can bring myself from just this hyper sense of arousal. It's down just a little bit, right? If you become good enough at that, if you do it often enough, eventually your ability to change goes from, originally it's like I go from here to here, and eventually I can go from way up here to way down here in one breath. It's training a skill, right? You're training the skill of ultimately turning on the parasympathetic nervous system. It's just a skill like anything else. And this is the skill that we practice before we eat a meal, every meal, we simply bring ourselves back into the state of awareness. I did a, I did an interesting, I, we meditate before every meal with my kids. I did a meditation today where we did an OM meditation. I've never done this with my kids before. We may have done it when they were little, but they all acknowledged that they could feel. So I always try to make them feel what's happening in their body. So they actually acknowledged that they could feel the change in the vibration in their body simply by doing an OM before we ate. We did two OMs. We did probably 10 to 12 second OMs. But if you guys were to do an um, like that kind of thing, and, it, and it, the vibration will change the way you feel. It's a really interesting experiment just to acknowledge you have the ability to change how you feel. And so where's the correlation? Well, if an ohm can change the way I've, my vibration feels throughout my entire body, and do you all acknowledge that emotions are just vibrational signatures in your body? Every emotion is literally just a vibrational signature in your body of the way energy is flowing. So if I can change it with a single ohm, one, I can change my emotional state, right? Again, ohm may or may not be your, your, you know, poison of choice. You could go for a walk, you go for an exercise, whatever. But the fact that I acknowledge that my children can do it in one, we can all do it, right? And again, I'm not going to take, make you guys do it now, but it's, it's a good way to start your day, right? If you haven't ever done an ohm meditation, it's literally just what it sounds like. You can do it in your head. You don't even have to physically do it out loud. So anyways, I think I'm taking a bit of a tangent. You should have two things in your house that are not on your diet plan. And that's it. And I don't care what they are. They can be whatever you want. But like everything else should be fit within the guidelines of like, you know, the, the muscle intelligence, you know, 10 foods that we eat, right? Like everything is that. And I go to the grocery store almost every day because I always want fresh vegetables. I want like, I'm always trying to make sure I've got the freshness of what I can get. But maybe like two things that are like, ah, those are... You know, if, if, you know, whatever, somebody comes over or like, you know, you have two things, you're like, oh yeah, I have those two things there just in, cause I'm like, I don't want to think you guys should be unreasonable, but I think in general, we want to have, uh, you know, if you have it there, you're going to eat it. So if you guys want to make great decisions in life, simply just surround yourself with good food. And here's what you'll realize is, uh, necessity is the mother of all skill, they say, right? So when you have nothing but great foods in front of you, you start to become really creative with how you prepare them. So if you've only got a bunch of vegetables and meat, like, I don't mean to do this, boring. You start becoming super creative. Like, I've become a somewhat decent cook. Like, if you guys ever come to my house, you'd be like, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. I've never taken a cooking class, maybe a couple, but nothing, like, extravagant. Just because I've cooked so many times for myself and my family, and eventually, like, oh, I'm put this with that, put that with that. Eventually, it's like, oh, this is really good. And we keep building on it. So... 
it becomes a fun experiment to see what you can do with simple foods. And, and it's so much more, it's so much better than you think. Thanks for listening to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. For full episode guides with important takeaways and bonus resources, head over to muscleintelligence.com slash learn. If you enjoy the show and find value in the content, please subscribe, share this podcast with at least one person you know and love who would benefit from this content. Leave us a review and support our sponsors. You can see the full list of show sponsors, discounts, and get exclusive Muscle Intelligence deals at muscleintelligence.com slash resources. To join our private community and get VIP access to my master classes, upcoming muscle camps, and other resources that we don't post anywhere else, head to muscleintelligence.com slash community. Most of all, thank you very much for your trust, for your time, and most importantly, for supporting health and fitness in this world. Enjoy your day, and I look forward to seeing you here next week. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.